You are listening to motivational quotes and inspirational life stories from real life people just like you. I'm your host, Victoria Johnson. You can learn more about me and my number one best-selling book at victoriajohnson.org. It's time to share our experiences and motivate and inspire you. So let's get started. Hello, listeners. Our guest today is Roger Smith. He is the author of The Most Unlikely Leader, An Unbelievable Journey from GED to CEO. I have to tell you, usually I do a lot of research on my guests, and this time I didn't because I knew that he had a story about overcoming obstacles and getting past addiction and so on. So I wanted to be just as surprised as you in this interview. So here we go. Welcome to the show, Roger. Thank you, Victor. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I am so intrigued by the title of your book. And I don't even know where you would like to start. So I'm just going <laughs> to leave it up to you to go ahead. Maybe maybe you could start with uh, overcoming the obstacles in your life or wherever yeah. it's a good place for you. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because up until the age of 14, like I was this pretty good kid. You know, I wasn't like a student, but I was like B's and C's. And, you know, in junior high, I was uh, the star of the the junior high musical. And I was in the chess club and the woodworking club and all that stuff. That summer, a flip, a switch flipped. And I went from that kid to a very rebellious kid to, at the age of 15, being homeless a drug addict, and a high school dropout. So needless to say, the prospects for a bright future were were not looking very good at that point. I stayed in that kind of homeless and drug addiction for maybe four years after four or five years, though my drug addiction lasted for over 20 years. So unfortunately for me, I was a pretty highly functioning drug addict. And uh, I wish I wasn't because I would have hit my bottom so much quicker, but I didn't. And so it was, you know, a series of of constantly falling down and trying to pick myself up. You know, there's there's a real truth to what you're saying about being high functioning. Sorry to interrupt you there, Roger. No, no, it's fine. I work a lot with people in addictions and I find that it's such a common thing that, you know, sometimes we have this stereotype about what a drug addict is or what an alcoholic is. But, you know, my experience has been completely different than that, that they're the most unlikely people because they're so high functioning. It's not what you see on the streets. Right. Um, not only what you see on the streets. I have a question for you already yeah, yeah. interrupting. Shoot. <laughs> what was the switch that hit you at 14? Do you know? I think that the hippie movement was just starting. And I had been a pretty independent kid all my life. So I think it was hippie movement starting, me looking for my tribe where I fit in. I think that was it. Yeah, that's such a tough age. And really what you said, looking for your tribe, I think probably everyone can listening can relate to that, you know, where we're just really at that age where we're trying to find out who we are. So 28 years in, uh, you hit the rock bottom then? So 20 years in, yeah, when I was 35, I hit my rock bottom. And so many things should have been bottom before that. But like I said, the image that I was able to convey 
was that of success. I was the number one salesperson in the company. I was moving up. I was running an insurance agency. So I was definitely able to convey that message. What I wasn't able to do as a functioning addict was uh, sustain any type of success. And so, you know, it, it, in my mind, I don't, I can't speak for other addicts, but for me, I had this, the inner picture in my mind, not the one that I portray, but the inner picture in my mind was this one of just dying alone and broke and on the street. That was an inside image. And when you have that image inside, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're working your way towards that vision. And that's what I would do. So I could build an organization, I could hit the quotas, I could do all of that. But then I would start to do the destructive things so that I couldn't maintain it. And then I would end up in my book, The Most Unlikely Leader. It's almost done geographically because I would end up self-destructing over here, you know, with what I built up and move to another state and build up again and build up again. What's that expression, um, wherever you go, there you are? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and it just happened that when I really hit rock bottom, at that point, crack cocaine was out there. And that was, and I was, like I said, I was on heroin at 15. I had done a lot of drugs, but crack cocaine is really what brought me to my knees. And I remember I was living in a little cottage in Malibu and I'm on all fours and I'm just looking in the carpet for hours and hours and hours for some little sliver of crack cocaine that I may have dropped. And then just thinking, if this is it, if this is where, if this is who I am and where I'm going to end up, why go on? What's the point? And when um, I literally went downstairs and, and started to walk into the ocean. And I guess I'm blessed. <laughs> I don't have the answer, but I ended up not doing that and going into rehab the next day. And it changed my life. Uh, I'm so thankful that that moment that transformation when you had the choice of going left or going right, that you chose the road that took you to recovery. Yeah, absolutely. So so you went into rehab. Now, I'm just going to put myself in your shoes for a minute because I think we might have similar personalities. (laughs) You're going to rehab, which again, you were probably very good at because you can be anything that anybody wants you to be. I, I was. I, there's a funny part in the book where I'm sitting there and I was, I'd lived in L.A. and I went to Oklahoma and the car that I was driving at that time was like a, a purple cougar with orange wheels and orange padded back and top. And I went to Oklahoma to start up an agency and stopped in a bar and came out like three hours later and the car was gone and like two blocks away it was there being burned to the ground okay so so that chameleon part that part about well yeah you better transition to where you are and who you are i was really good at that and had done that in in many of my moves so but i will tell you that i did not want to be that person anymore i just didn't want it. To me, it was just like this creature, this monster on the ground. And I just, I never wanted to be that person again. And so for me, 
that the rehab really took hold because because I was so adamant about not being that person again. Well, Though, it sounds like you were saying that you're, you know, you, it didn't matter what the outside looked like because on the inside, you still saw that person who was destitute and that need for self-approval, that need for self-love and self-acceptance and to stop the self-sabotage was almost a primal need at that point. Am I correct? Yeah, no, you, no, you are. And it's an interesting thing because when you think about it, there's so much negative energy that is put into being an addict, you know? Yeah. I mean, you've got to feed it, right? And so it's all this negative energy that's there. When you're clean, it's the same energy, but now you're able to put it into a positive force. And if you can change that inner picture and use that energy, that positive energy, it is amazing at where you can go and what you can do with your life. It's so true. You know, I'm a big advocate for really loving ourselves and even just moving into liking ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> such yeah. A difference because like you said, all of that energy that has gone into the self-hate and the self-loathing and the self-destruction can now go into the self-love and self-approval and your whole life completely changes. So tell us about that. Tell us about the transformation. Well, you know, it was, well, first of all, it was pretty funny because what I did as soon as I got out of rehab is I said, okay, whatever habits that I had created as an addict, I'm going to change. And I'm talking about the most basic of habits. So if I put on my right shoe first, I was going to change it and put my left shoe on first. If I did brush my teeth with my right hand, I'm going to do it with my left hand. Whatever I was doing, I had years and years of being an addict and bad habits. So it was really about recreating myself in a positive image and just changing everything that I did. Like I said, even from the basics to going towards a positive way. And once I started doing it, the difference was that now when I was building an organization, then I could continue to build on it. All of a sudden, I wasn't sabotaging it. I wasn't self-destructive. I was building it, I'm building on it. And then, you know, obviously people saw the values. I was blessed, absolutely blessed by having some great mentors. I talk about the power of multiple mentors and I was blessed with those mentors. And so in this new walk in life, I was also able to hear things that that made so much sense to me. You know, one of my mentors said, he said, Roger, listen, you know, nothing's as good as it seems and nothing's as bad as it seems. Now, that's a real simple statement. But what happens, especially an addict, is, is you ride your highs real high and you and you your lows are really, really low. And what he was saying is, hey, listen, when you're in one of those highs, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to hit an obstacle. You're going to come down off of it. And when you're in one of those lows, you know, this too shall pass. And, and once I got that, then I understood, wow, you know, I can, I can try to live this life on a more even keel instead of those drastic highs and lows. I'm going to repeat what you said there. Nothing is as good as it seems and nothing is as bad as it seems. Wow. Quote of a quote. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, but, but like I said, it was because I had these mentors in my life that they believed in me. 
They wanted to share their wisdom. And I think that it's up to us that we search out people that can help us. You know, it's the same thing with the sponsor. It's not it's not the sponsor's response. It's your responsibility to, you know, That's to get right. that. And, and yes. I think it's the same thing with mentors. Yes, I agree. And with coaching as well. I yeah. Think. Absolutely. So your book, again, The Most Unlikely Leader, An Unbelievable Journey from GED to CEO is available on Amazon. People can also learn more about you at your website, rogersmith.me. And I I really want to hear a little bit more from you about what an average day is like for you now. So that's really, (laughs) that's pretty funny. So, you know, I (laughs) I retired. Thank you. I retired about four or five years ago. When I retired, I knew that I was going to write this book. But there was also a huge transition because being the type of person that I had, everything that I had was in being the CEO of these two insurance companies. So all those different segments of your life that that should be outside we're all in one piece of the pie and it was a huge transition from i literally had to draw a pie chart and go okay this is my social this is you know my physical this is my spiritual this is philanthropy and actually go okay all of these needs were being met as CEO in one piece. Now I have to find myself in each one of those. I mean, it's pretty funny. It's a time Um, of reinvention for sure. It is. I actually joined the community theater and started acting because, you know, one of the things is I gave a lot of speeches. I would get a lot of applause. And then I was going, wait, wait, where do I get applause here? (laughs) So so I had to feed the ego a little bit on that. But uh, it really... It really is reinventing yourself and and finding who you are. So, you know, now I'm kept pretty busy with the book, doing podcasts and so on. But I really, once I kind of get off of this bus and move on to the next chapter, it'll be interesting to see where that leads. And to tell you the truth, I'm not quite sure of that yet. Well, you know, I've that's always part had... of the fun, right? That's part of the fun is not knowing... Not yeah. having to know. I think, you know, probably in your in your position of CEO, you kind of had to know the plan. You had to know the next step. Right. And now right. you can just uh, let the universe uh, surprise you. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard that way. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. That is exactly what I need to do. <laughs> I have had so much fun with you. I have another question that comes to mind, and it's a very bold question. So please uh-huh. forgive me. I'm thinking about these 20 years and, you know, that switch from being that kid uh, in music. So I found it really interesting that you were so diversified in terms of you were in musicals, but you're always also in the chess club, which is a very quiet and concentrated Uh event. And then into woodworking. So, you know, the creativity, all of those different parts of you. And then there was that switch that was flipped and 20 years later flipped back. Were the people who raised you able to uh, watch the transition into CEO? So, uh, yes, yes. My mom was able to see that transition and I was uncontrollable. It's not like she hadn't tried to control me or or did, but, you know, I was so gone. I was so out of it. And 
I remember we had one of our conventions in LA and my mom and my stepfather were there and gave a speech and everything and, and introduced them. And for me, it was such a proud moment. And I know for them, it was such a proud moment. It was just, it was so good to think of where I was and the years of misery that I put them through. And then to see this, you know, it was, and, and my stepfather was the one who brought me into American income. He was the one who brought me into the business. So for him to see bringing me in to the point where I was the CEO, it was a big moment. It was a big moment and a very fulfilling moment. Oh, it just makes my heart warm to hear it. And I feel like it's, you know, such a full circle moment. And what I really... Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to emphasize to the listeners because I think that we've all got things that, you know, maybe we did in the past that that we are still moving through or that we've got regrets about. I want to really point out that next switch that was flipped in your life was when you realized that you had to work on the inside, that you had to look at how you see yourself and to create that new reality for yourself as someone that you could love. Yeah. And it just, for me, that is key, the absolute key. And it's something that isn't something that we get to take off on our things to do list. It's something that we still have to work on every single day that self acceptance, that self approval, self image, self confidence, self love, self respect. Yes. All of those. And yeah. Roger, I wish you yeah. all of the success in the world. You truly deserve it. You have you have Thank uh, you so much. walked a hard path, but you know, with there, there's that other, uh, quote, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And, you know, I always think of that in terms of turmoil as well. When we've been through a lot of turmoil and we've made it to the other side, much is expected of us to help others to do the same. And I see you doing that with your book. And yes, so, yeah, that, that was the point. That was the point of the book yes. is, you know, hopefully somebody's there and they feel stuck and they feel like they've got too much history and they just not the, the, the cards are stacked against them. And hopefully, you know, the most unlikely leader can inspire them to know, listen, it doesn't that doesn't matter if you just move forward. I have a very quickly. Most people say don't ever burn your bridges. And my philosophy has always been like, burn every damn one of them. And and I don't mean this as far as relationships, but I do mean it that what happens is people have like an escape hatch or a plan B. And when they hit that wall, when they hit that obstacle, it's the temptation to use the escape hatch or the plan B becomes so great that so many people don't realize their dreams. And what I'm saying is burn that bridge behind you. You can't go back. You can only go forward. And when you think that way, it is amazing how creative you get to get over that wall, get through that wall, get around that wall. And through perseverance, you look back and go, okay, well, that was just a bump in the road. Mm-hmm. You know, and you get past it. So I think that that kind of philosophy has always just, you know, it's driven me past and, and it's allowed me to go forward and, and it allows me to evolve as a person, right? Yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think it's so interesting that you mentioned that too about the the conflict. And so often when we are in pursuit of our goals, when it's really tough 
just keep going because you're almost there. Yeah. And, uh, and then you're going to glide yeah. for a while and then it's going to be really tough again, you know, as you've reached exactly. And, uh, you know, you call them speed bumps. Sometimes they're mountains, uh, <laughs> yes. but it's still worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you are so right, Victoria. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being on the show, Roger. Again, that's rogersmith.me. And the book is The Most Unlikely Leader, An Unbelievable Journey from GED to CEO. Thank you, Roger. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. It is my true desire that you have been inspired and felt a sense of connection with the words being shared. If you have an inspirational story to share on how you have overcome adversity and created an exceptional life, please visit my website, victoriajohnson.org. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you again next time.